Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. Greetings, Earthlings. Uh, today we have a special treat. Um, we are here with Zelos Zelos Marchant. Um, and uh, Zelos Zelos is one of those people who, like, I just met in, like, I'd say, like, in the past year, wherever I go and I happen to drop the name Zelos Marchant, Zelos Zelos Marchant, everybody knows you. <laughs> you know, and I was like, when did this happen? <laughs> What did this happen? You know, how can everybody know Zelos but me? You know, um, so I would love to hear that story. Like, who are you? First of all, um, because you told me a great story about your name, Zelos. Because I remember I first asked you, Zelos, Zelos, and you said that your name was? The sound a cricket makes in Lenape. I'm not Lenape. I'm um, Tislagi, Muskegee. Um, It's a Creek, Cherokee, and Blackfoot. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a Zika. So... Um, yeah, but Lenape, it's an automatopoeia for the sound a cricket makes. So, zelos, 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 zelos. That's what I say to people and they instantly get it. Otherwise, yeah. they're just really thrown off by seeing two Zs in one word <laughs> with all these vowels. Uh, so. I think it's a great name. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great name. So, uh, zelos, zelos, you're from the South originally? Originally, yeah, from uh, Nashville, Davidson County. Yeah, born in Nashville, but um, been in Oregon since 1988. Brother, brother was born in Astoria before anybody remotely wanted to Airbnb there. Like I got, you know, I I came of age with, um, you know, Rough Riders in the South, but then also just like those grizzly old fishermen, you know, in Astoria. There was no hotels or anything like that um, when I would go stay with my um, grandmother on my mom's side. That's where she lived. My mom was a single mom, so we just. She would just send us there like every weekend, every time there was a break, you know, or if she just needed a mental health break. She just send us over to um, my grandmother's over there. So it was smelly, just like people fishing all the time, <laughs> all the so, time. So half your family's from Tennessee and half is from Oregon? Um, arguably. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the family that I keep in contact with that I and I've frequently gone back to the south over the years. Um and it was just here, just there last last year. Try to go, try to go every year. Um, but yeah, a lot of family in the deep south, like Alabama, Tennessee, Florida. There's some people in southeast, 
you know, up towards New York, and then I got some fam in Cali, like a lot of people do. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I, you know, it's we. Yeah, I don't think my parents intended for us to stay here. My my dad was definitely like a, a Rolling Stone. He was a um, ex Navy person, so he's always had that wanderlust. And so, um, you know, we came through. I think Colorado for a bit, and then came to Oregon. We were in Astoria, um, and then they split up, and that's kind of how I just got left here. <laughs> <laughs> definitely wasn't like coming from another state as huh. an adult and being like, I'm coming to Oregon. It wasn't quite like that, but um, I used to not appreciate it, but now that I've been here a long time, like honestly, being here since the 80s, like I've just seen Portland when it was like my own private Idaho, when it was in yeah. that stage. For me, it's always that kind of trash to be out clear like people be confused about what's going on today i'm like how are you confused have you not just gone to the library and seen what portland what nobody went downtown you didn't go downtown you went downtown if you um wanted to not come back (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like i have memories of we were really poor going to dhs um when it was in chinatown and it was only you know, people who were from the the Asian community and from China that were down there. Nobody was speaking English, really, or anything like that. Yeah, so that's kind of my Oregon story. It's so funny because, uh, <laughs> once again, and this is uh, has been true about you so many times, it's not even funny with me, is I also am I'm surprised, once again, I did not know you had that, those kind of Oregon roots. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do, but the thing is, is whenever, anytime anybody gets to know me, even just casually, they always say, you're not from around here, are you? I say, absolutely not. But I think the difference is because, you know, there's something to be, something about being born in the South, you know, yep. and having family from there. It's the blood in the experience is really thick. And those are, you know, my, my aunt, I've got a couple cousins that I regularly speak with and I'm close to. Um, and my, my grandmother who passed a few years ago, uh, definitely a huge matriarch in her family, um, taught me a lot and informed me a lot. So like my experience has been shaped by a larger family and a larger community, both chosen and blood. And I think that's really kept me sane, honestly, and, uh, kept me grounded, um, especially as like a black and indigenous person for sure. But then like, I'm really grateful that I got to come of age out here where You know, I don't want to put the experimental roots that the Northwest likes to capitalize on up on too big of a pedestal. But like, you know, I was out here when Riot Girl music was a thing. Grunge was like it was music was everywhere. Art was and media was just like there was just stuff going on all the time, you know, Um, and that's really cool. That's uh, got to be a part of part of that. (laughs) So, yeah. Right. And um. Uh, along those lines, those, uh, you have lived several different lives. Than, than different, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to argue that anymore. I have. <laughs> you know, um, what are some of the things that you've done over the... Oh, oh, shit. I don't know. We were, <laughs> we were just talking about you uh, being a musician. Yeah, I am a musician. Um, definitely a musician. I, I, I started performing from a really early age and wanted to go into dance first, is what I, I told folks. Um, so I you know, tried ballet, but like we did not have these equity lessons that we do to put pressure on people and straight up just nobody would have somebody black like me in ballet in the South for sure. Um, And by the time we got to Oregon, just didn't have the funds for that. But we were connected. My parents connected us to a really multicultural community. So I learned lots of other dance forms um, and took classes where I can through 
teaching artists that would come to school. So I, I did end up doing the traditional, like the jazz, the ballet, entry to tap, things like that. Um, but because my family also wanted us to be incredibly proud of our um, our heritage, we would go to powwows and I would learn those dances. Um, I was really involved in the Hamawa Foundation with Obawadi. He's who I studied under for a long time. And I was actually in... Obawadi? Obawadi. I was in his groups. Yep. Kakrudu and Okrapong. I was a professional dancer and singer. I have a history singer. with Oboe, too. Huh? I, well, yeah. Yeah. I, those, that was all, I just a whole time, right? And people from Ghana would come to yeah. watch us perform, you know, um, and I deeply want to get stuff like that going again, um, you know, because that just died out as he got older. Um, but anyway, I did I did that stuff, but it was it wasn't until I was twelve that I got hooked with singing. I always sang um and did did the regular things. Like I think if you're a black person remotely connected to churchy stuff, which is like a lot of us, whether we want to be or not, you end up singing in the choir. You end up going to do solos and talent shows and stuff like that. So I did that stuff. But it wasn't until I just had a teacher um who was finishing their graduate degree. I was in middle school, I was a choir teacher. Um take me aside and just say, no one has a voice like yours. You know, have you ever thought about doing anything with it? And at the time I, <laughs> I really hadn't. Uh, I was a, at a horrible, <laughs> horrible youth upbringing, like a lot of queer and trans youth. And um, it was really hard and isolating to be, we were in Forest Grove at the time, right. way out there. Um, and, you know, uh, I had an abusive childhood growing up. It was a terrible experience. I felt like I didn't have anybody. It was just nothing but a sea of white, scary, banjo-playing type rednecks that were constantly threatening our, our lives to be really clear about it. You know, this was my first Oregon experience was just, this was everywhere. It was very normal, normalized. Uh, but this teacher was just like, if you you know, work hard at this stuff, you could do something with it. Um, had me listen to classical music, um, had me listen to contemporary classical music like Andrew Lloyd Webber and stuff like that. Um, worked with me with language a little bit. And, you know, I I hadn't known anything but English, but just through being able to emotionally connect with the music, I was able to decipher what was going on, which for him, he thought he thought that was really powerful. He says, look, you know, I don't, I don't know how you know, you could make your way, but you know, if you can get here once a week, you can scrounge up some money, you know, you know, I'll just start you for free. We can just start the base. I'll teach you how to read music. I'll teach you how to um, work with language, learn different languages. Came to my mom and she just was like, absolutely not. If you want to do that so bad, you're going to have to get that money your own self. I said, fine, I will. So I, <laughs> I worked in the fields just went back to basics. Literally, that's all you could do at 12. There's, you know, so I went and I picked berries every weekend. Um, I knew how to tailor and do seamstress work. So I did that stuff. So I tailored people's clothes for shows and stuff. You see what I'm saying? Did yeah. hair, did the whole thing. And I, you know, I had to buy my school supplies too. You know, I did not have stability. There's some things my parents gave me that I'm grateful for, but like, you know, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great time. So I did that. And then I just got on my bike and biked to the middle school where my teacher met me. It wasn't too far. It took like half an hour, 45 minutes to bike over there and then have my half hour lesson, which is all I could afford. I think he was charging me something like, I don't even remember. Might've been just like 30 bucks. Sometimes it was just 10 bucks. Like he, I think he knew I was like just doing this on my own babysitting money, whatever. And then I would bike back. And then just every day I was in my, in my room 
whether I sounded like a goose or not, just kept practicing and practicing. <laughs> opera was hard. It was opera I was studying, but I wanted it, you know, so I did that and I did get somewhere. I, you know, um, ended up going to do state solo finals. I think it was, uh, I think I placed runner up to first in like 19, I think it was 1994, 1993 or something like that. And then started uh, working with the Portland Opera Chorus. You know, there's a lot of kids end up doing that. And then I just got really bold when uh, Carol Lucas was the choral matron over there. I think I was closer to 18. And I just literally called, <laughs> called her up like it was a record company. I was like, you know, I, I have a really great voice and I think you should hire me pretty much is what I said. She should have just thrown me out. She'd be like, who do you think you are? But she was intrigued. <laughs> Thank God. A lot of people have been intrigued. Um, and uh, she says, uh, this isn't how it's done, but why don't you come down to the opera house? <laughs> we can talk about some things. So I did. I did. She sat me down, um, humored me and um, told me exactly how to all the hoops you got to jump through to get remotely anywhere in that business um and it was terrifying yeah <laughs> it was and, terrifying and you know and, and just just in the story so far uh you're a kid of color you're trans and you've been and you've picked berries and you've babysat and Anything. you were a tailor I was going to do it. And you skipped over the whole part about where you learned to sew like that. Uh, <laughs> um, and you're an opera singer. You know, like, you know, that's already like, and like, uh, you know, opera is one of those things for me where, uh, like documentaries, like, I don't think of myself as liking documentaries, but every time I see a documentary, I love them. You I know? feel that. Like, yeah. I'm the same way with opera. Like, like, uh, I'm, I'm at a, like a 95% success rate when I go see an opera. Like, and part of it's the ones I pick, but like, I love the art form. And if you can sing it's like good. that. That is incredible. That's what they they say. You can sing like that. You can sing anything. And and I honestly, to go back to that teacher, I had never had anybody say, here's a door that's open. If you can figure out how to help yourself, you could do that. No one ever, no one figured a fuck about me. I felt at all. No one cared about how I felt about anything, anything. Um, and I was hungry. So I was like, I'm going to fucking show you <laughs> then fine. Yes, I will. I'd never felt so alive. It broke me open in a good way. Everybody's got stuff in their lives that break them open and you got a choice, you know, you can grow those feathers and fly or you can cry about it, you know, or if you're an opera, you can cry about it and grow those feathers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, right. No, there's no crazier soap opera than opera. That's why we call them soap operas on the TV. Cause it's just like, what are these people doing? But I found that so cathartic. It was ridiculous. You know, it's almost like, <laughs> The opera people are going to maybe hate me. It's almost like clowning. When you look at the scripts, when you're looking at what you're, you're acting and what you're singing, you're like, who would do this? The sick sad thing is there's a lot of people who would do that stuff out there. You almost can't make that stuff up. I'm pretty sure that's what writers like us do is then just like draw from that. But um, as far as my sewing skills, like, you know, I think that's part of the black experience and you make something from nothing. That's like, we. I honestly think we make everything better. Like you can trace everything back to what black and indigenous people are doing, you know, and one way, cause we are just that smart and vibrant. We're connected to the all, but also we have to, <laughs> it was either be sad in my room and cry and, or just figure it out. No, it's not fair, but I had to, I wanted to do it. I knew that I had what it could take to do it. And I believed I had people who were supporting me. I didn't do it alone. I'd had people who right. were like, you can do this. And right. there's certainly been times where I was like, get ready to go a competition. I was like, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> and I've had people be like, you can do it. You can do it. 
So, and that's like the story of this teacher that you were telling, this, this mentor. Yeah. You know, um, and I feel like so many of the stories of people I admire, people who I look up to, artists I appreciate, you know, there's someone like that. Yeah. You know, in their life who said, you know, uh, you know, it's so important. Right. You know, and it honestly, to me, it's really that simple. I think a lot of people are just like, what? You're, you, this tapestry, of, you know, that was, it was Cameron Witten who called me a tapestry and an individual. Now it's just stuck. Right. <laughs> and I'm, that's fine. But, you know, I, I think I'm always telling people there's no brass ring. Like, yes, there's, there's things to learn about. Right. It's, you can't read all about this stuff in a book. That's also just, I don't think like our way. And at least not in my opinion as like in this body, in this person, you know, black, indigenous and queer and trans. We, we cannot you cannot actualize yourself through a book or through a bunch of YouTube stuff or whatever. Do that stuff. That's a part of it. But really, it's with people that we do that. It's through interacting with each other that we do that. No one's doing it alone. Every single superstar, whatever that means to somebody like there were people behind them, but we don't see on the days where they feel like they can't even dial it in, they're going, you got this, you know? And then that person had to do the work to find out how they have to, how they could help themselves. You know, mm-hmm. that's where the, the magic is in the prep, you know, me and me and my um, close friends say, so I have not done it hmm. alone. The magic's in the prep. Really. It looks like we're just do badass stuff, but really it's like a lot of not graceful stuff happening behind the scenes <laughs> right you right. know or a lot of just like you know everybody's got doubts even as you're really really confident so but you know for me and all that i do i wanted to pay that forward that's what i was taught was like you have this stuff pay it forward you know um it's hard because we can't reach everybody you know um i wish that we could but i do firmly believe like look it's not rocket science you got to learn what your own skill set is do you want it you know because the first you'll always you'll have your community but like if you can't help yourself because you're you're only you're inside your own body you know the other people can't help you if you can figure that out it's going to be fine let's take a break right here and we'll be back with zealous zealous marchant I'm feeling jolly, I'm feeling jolly, jolly, jolly. Let's let the creativity and self-expression commence. Profile theater, yeah, they're here to present to you a free writing workshop for any LGBTQ plus and BIPOC individual. You could choose to sit with us in a room in the physical, or you could join through Zoom and do it virtual. Long as you're 18 through 30 years old, you'll have the opportunity to write, learn, and grow from some of the most prominent writers this world has known. Learn to get in your zone. And they'll teach you how to hone all your skills, all your talents, all your writing powers. An affinity space full of artists once a month for three hours. Making major changes across the nation. Just by using your imagination. And you might be thinking, where is the location? Well, it's where outside the frame is. In downtown Portland, up the stairs in the Union Station. You know the train station building with the big sign that says, Go by train. Here's your chance to pull and express yourself in a major way. We're here to listen to anything that you gotta say. We want to hear your voice, use your words, and take them straight off the page. Even if you're thinking that you got no style. Even if you haven't wrote for a while. Come on down to Community Profile. And let your creativity flow and go wild. 
And we are back to Voices from the Real World with Zelos Zelos Marchant. I know I was uh, kind of joking at the beginning, but I kind of wasn't, you know, when I met you, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, and I'm working with this person, Zelos Zelos Marchant, and Zelos Zelos Marchant, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And you are providing <laughs> this now for other people. You are, uh, providing, you, you are providing this mentorship, this leadership. I want to. For, I don't want to be the only one doing it out here. Right. That's my way of saying thank you. Mm-hmm. And I don't, um, I think it's important to give credit while credit is due. But also, I, I'm actually working on just being more, um, like even just coming on here, just being more visible and talking about myself. Because it's been really uncomfortable for me, sort of, even though I've taken the stage in lots of different places. Just be like. You know, this is what I'm doing, but I'm also learning, like, it's okay to do that. And I've actually just gotten to a point where everyone's like, where's your book or where's this or where's that? And then I'm like, okay, after I'm getting this all the time now, I'm like, you're right. I've got a lot of things to share that it's time to focus on that stuff. So now I'm trying to find a balance between the programs and the company, um, companies that I've begun and um, and just doing my own thing, again, as like a, a individual artist and a, a freelancer and a a theater owner so but i i really believe i want everyone to live their best lives and um you know i i'm definitely getting the message that everyone's like you're everywhere and like well i i try to be but also i'm like you know i don't really feel like i've necessarily digital flux like oh you know you tell everyone about me or whatever like it's not about that for me like i really just want everyone to be well and i really believe that we trust that and we trust each other and we don't fuck each other over, then it's going to be fine. And we, that's how you rise each other up. And it doesn't mean we all have to be in each other's same circles. It's not about that. And I know that's really, really hard. I think especially as uh, as people of color and especially as black and uh, indigenous folk, because this world just wants to pit us against each other or makes you feel like there's only so much to go around. Or if one of us is doing okay, then like that means there's not enough for somebody else or Oh, why isn't it me? And even I have these feelings, but I have to remember like, nope, nope, that's not for me. That's not, that's like the thing that I'm up against and I'm not going to listen to it. It's not, it's not, I'm not interested in that. I'm in the long game. I'm here for the slow burn. I'm here for real. And that is what I'm about. I remind myself about my own values, my own virtue and how much I do have faith and believe in my people in my world and must keep doing that. And then just get comfortable with being gassed up. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> right. Right. Because, I, because I feel like uh, um, that is the real thing. And it's like when, because it, cause like when, I, when I talk about different people, I'm also talking about like uh, different communities yeah. or, or different segments of, of a community um, and like different generations. Yes. You know, uh, you know, older people, yeah. younger people, you have built up this, um, uh, a level of trust, frankly. You know, like like they trust you. Oh, it's a huge. Oh, gonna make me tear up. It's a huge honor. I there's a lot of people I trust, but it, it's not easy, and it's a conversation that never stops. I think that's the part that I think makes me. If I get mad at humanity, that part, like you, it doesn't. It's not a checkbox, and nobody should comp. I definitely don't think we should compromise at all. Like I think I've been famous for that. It's for being outspoken, but also having really good boundaries. But I mean it. It's like if you, you can only have good boundaries if you know yourself that much. I try to su- encourage everybody, whether they're students, friends, colleagues, lovers, to do that. Um, and I'm not going to get mad about it. You know, we shouldn't be mad at boundaries, you know, or different people's needs or any of that stuff. We should clearly communicate these things because that is how we get 
forward. That is how we get somewhere. And it's okay for the game to, to change. And I'm so passionate about making sure that there's not like um, clicks or things. So in terms of speaking to like the different age groups and things like that, like, you know, we, we need each other's wisdom and it might not click into place right. at first, you know, but I'm always like, I'm, I, I'm a researcher at heart. I think I research is my love language. I have a background in journalism. Um, See? See? Yeah. Something else. I don't think that's too uncommon for arty people, though. Like, we're like the, you know, we're like keeping track of stuff and we're like in the mix and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I I take my time. It's, it's really important to me to really understand something to the best of my ability and also be open to being surprised. You know, um, sometimes that might burn me a little bit, but it's like, look, I, it's not enough for me to like read about it or all this. I want to like know. I want to really know. So I'll listen to everybody. I'll listen to everything. I keep my eyes out. I think that's, if there is one thing unique about me, I think that's it. Like if I know something's good, it's good. I can see it, you know? And even if nobody has seen that in the front end, I'm like, just wait, because I can see how things are related to each other and how they're not and how relationship dynamic wise they play out. And I think that's really, really quintessential um, to the human experience and getting, getting forward. So I, I, I try to apply that and it means a lot. But you're hearing people, <laughs> trust me, that's good, because I, I adore the, the hell out of our community. Yeah. I, re- I really, really, really do. I, I don't, I'm trying not to be petty um, and hold grudges or any of that stuff. And All that shit comes up. <laughs> it's all, just, all it's easy urges. to get petty out here. And yeah. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, I ain't the one. I, it doesn't mean I won't be pissed or just side eye or anything. I'll just be like, look, it doesn't mean I'm not going to say stuff, you know, but like, uh, I try to be thoughtful i try i think that i don't know i think it was just taught live live by example there's some things that will definitely be if there's messes because those things come up in our community in portland is small then you know i trust that truth will prevail you know try to stay in my lane right (laughs) but you know uh your lane is quite large (laughs) you know and uh like one of the Ways that you've been taking care of your community is this thing you're doing, this project you're doing, Ten Tiny Talks. Ten Tiny Talks, yeah. <laughs> what is that about? Oh my goodness, that just blew up. Well, I, you know, it's something that I wanted to do as long as I'd been doing classical and opera, um, where I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a theater company, to have a residency? Um, and I loved opera, but I have often until lately found it really limiting. Like these are, these it's a really high art form with a lot of just like over the top stories. But obviously as a, a, a performer of color, I was like, okay, well, I don't see anything representing me or like, why can't we do something modern? Things like that. And I just sat on that and I've, I've had a really, really uh, rough life that I don't really feel like has cleared until recently, you know, that is to say like the things that I'm doing, I've always done, but, I think this through self-knowledge and and cutting out people who didn't respect what I or my community was doing, you know, I've I've surrounded myself with people who actually love and support me and us and the work that we're doing. So now it's like I, I don't feel like there's like a huge blockage. But what happened as this was this is what happened was leading up to the pandemic and BLM, which just seemed to happen all at once. Um 
my day job was working in hospitals. So I started at 16 as a um, hospital tech. They called them candy stripers then. But you're pretty much an, an unpaid nurse's assistant. And then we got messages from the state of Oregon that said, there's this virus. This was before it even hit the news. <laughs> and we had to be, I was already in a lockdown hospital. They didn't give us any proper protection gear. None of that stuff at all. Um, and... I came back home. I was like, this is nuts. Everything is fucked. Everything's on fire. I quit. I was like, I'm not doing caregiving anymore. I can't do this. Like I I've had so many moments in my life where I've begun to get, become who I want to become. And then somebody shuts a door in my face or my community's face or something. And I was like, they don't care if I live or die. And I'm tired of being the shield for that. I'm tired of taking the bullets for that. I'm tired of doing all this stuff. So I didn't even really give notice. I said, I'm out of (laughs) here. I was like, I'm not catching the Mick COVID for you. (laughs) So that, you know, uh, like it was, it was a hard, almost a hard decision to make, but I was like, I'm not doing this. And why have I waited so long? What am I waiting for? Am I waiting for somebody to tell me yes? Which is just so counter to everything in my being. I was like, no, I can't do that. I don't want to bring shame on all the people who opened the door for me. And if if I'm going to die tomorrow, then now is the time. I'm not even messing around. I was never messing around before. I'm, there, I'm not messing around this time for sure. So I quit and I started um, Tin Tiny Talks and TNA Grand Theater. And then BLM happened along with all that stuff. But the upshot of that is tale as old as time, you know, white people just started raining money. A lot of money came in from philanthropists and from, you know, um, fiscal sponsors to get this boosted. I was just going to do it once again by my lonesome. But that really helped get get this to a level of um, semi-security. I'm hoping within the next couple of years it'll be super solid. That That's how it got started. And the program lasts for 10 months. So it opens formally in May, goes to October, closes on October 31st. Submissions are open now, so you can go to um, cravetheater.org. They're one of our main fiscal sponsors. Um, and then there's a little bar that says work with us. You click on that, and then you'll see the residency um, and then several several other positions that we have open if you're interested. Click on that, and then you can apply to the residency. It comes to me at 10tinytalks at gmail.com. Um, the, the requirement prerequisite is you got to be black and or indigenous, trans, queer, gender expansive, gender nonconforming, two spirit um, and an artist. And we do not limit what kind of art that you make at all. The whole thing is like we're here to just open that door and get out of your way. We're going to uh, provide mentorship. We provide uh, an honorarium of twelve hundred dollars. That's really cool that we got f- sufficient enough that it, last year it was five hundred. So now we can do twelve hundred. I'm hoping to be able to do five grand That's for each amazing. artist. Thank you. Next year, we also give five hundred dollars in supplies, both financial and in kind. And between all the people and organizations involved, um, we have a large network. So we have a film team, we have a production team, we have a project manager, we've got stage managers. So uh, when we're we're deciding which artists to move forward. We sit down with everybody um, and look over their proposals. And we really just talk about like, okay, um, you know, what, what do you need or how, what do you want to come out of this? Like it's, we really make it clear. This isn't about us. It's about the artists and what they want to do. Um, but it also takes a lot of personal attention to detail in the most personal way. Cause everybody has different emotional, intellectual, um, personal needs. And that's something we really, aim to be sensitive about and I try to be involved in the process because I think I'm very good at that. Um, 
and then talk with my team whom I really trust to say, okay, what do you think after we're done meeting with each artist, what do you think, you know, they will need? What can we offer them emotionally and um, mentally? What kind of mentorship do you think they'd need? What do you think might be hard for them? And how can we catch them when they are about to slip? Or if we can't catch them, what can we do to repair that damage? And I don't even necessarily mean like, you know, if somebody on the team messes up, I just mean like the reality is the people, the creatives coming from these demographics are incurring a lot of fuckery. And so we were always having these conversations. What can we do to bat that away and to protect them without being performative about it? What, what, what can we, and sometimes it's an ongoing conversation where right. there's trust that's being developed. It's yes, this program gives artists, they get them seen, they get work, we pay them. People know that, um, everybody on this team is solid and that my eye is solid and that if there's an artist in this program, you better keep an eye on that artist because they're going places, <laughs> you know, right. that's a huge responsibility and honor for me. But it's more about what does this person need on the inside? Because that's what makes success. It's like that long game. You can throw money at you want all you want at somebody and you can get all the awards you want. But if somebody isn't supported and right and aligned with themselves, so they don't know themselves, then you might as well just burn that money. And that's not what we need. We want like a legacy. That's what I want. So that's that's how the program goes. And um, like I said, it doesn't have to be individual artists. If you've got like an organization or a Vogue troupe or an installation collaboration, then you can you could submit. You know, we've definitely had group shows before and we will again. Um, and yeah, just just try us on. It doesn't have to be an individual thing. And uh and yeah, and that's that's Centonia Talks basically. Um, oh, we also do virtual 360 stuff. So every artist gets their stuff cataloged. Um, so they have something for their portfolio and they can also have an easier time going to grants and getting, it's, you know, just putting a video in there, their stuff. So we try to make it as technologically relevant and practical as possible. <laughs> and accessible. And accessible. That's right. right. Uh, Zellis, thank you so much for all no the problem, work you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you for coming on Voices from the Real World and talking about it. It's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, and just like, it's really impressive. Like the, like I said, like the different um, strata of, <laughs> of people, of artists, uh, who, who you were who helping out. You I, know? I love it. Um, I love it. So terrific work. Thank you. Thank you, man. <laughs> and that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World featuring Zelos Zelos Marchant. Thank you, Zelos. And of course, thank you to our creative team, Jamie M. Ray, line producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, sound engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, composer, Sam Mowry, recording engineer, and the Willamette Radio Workshop, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them, and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bermea. Thank you for joining us for Voices from the Real World. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World as well as Satellite Beyond the Page. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at Bobby B at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out. <laughs> <laughs>